Welcome back to Generals and Napoleon, episode 27, the Marshals Wrap-Up. And we have a very special guest joining us on the phone today from England, or should I say Scotland, Rachel Stark. Say hi, Rachel. Hi, yeah. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Um, Rachel is a fellow Napoleonic um, enthusiast, and uh, she agreed to join us on this Marshals Wrap-Up episode, so thanks for doing that. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. Um, this episode is sponsored by NapoleonicImpressions.com. Also recommend you check out Rachel uh, on Twitter. Her handle is at bookish underscore Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining me. No, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah. Now, before we get into Napoleon, how did you kind of get into this era or story? Like what, what, what was the major draw for you? I kind of came to the Marshalls a, a funny little route. I got into the Napoleonic period um, through reading Sharp when I was a teenager um, mm. and became very interested in the Duke of Wellington after that moved on to Napoleon. And I found a book um, called Napoleon's Elite by Raymond Horrocks that I got for like 99p on eBay, which mm. kind of reads like a who's who of Napoleon's court. Okay. And the whole section on the marshals. And when I started to read that, I kind of thought, wow, these were some colourful characters and wound up reading more and haven't quite stopped since. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I've similar thing for me. I was, um, I think it was like a library book sale and I bought like a very old version of David Chandler's campaigns of Napoleon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I brought it to the beach and I was reading it. And then like five hours later, I was still sitting on the beach reading it. Like I haven't moved because it was such a well-written book. And after that moment, I kind of really got into it. And I said, eh, maybe I can make a podcast out of, you know, just all the stories and rumors and facts that are out there about Napoleon and his marshals. Mm -hmm. I think he was the greatest commander of all time. There was a great quote um, about Don Shula, who's in America. He's the winningest NFL coach of all time. He had 328 wins as a football coach plus two Super Bowl victories. And there was an old saying about him that I think applies to Napoleon. And it goes, quote, he can take his in and beat your in, or he could take your in and beat his in. So basically, basically he says that Napoleon could take French soldiers and foreign troops and beat all the surrounding countries uh, of the Royal armies that attacked him. And that's what he did for gosh, over a decade. Right. Yeah, I think undisputedly he's one of history's greatest generals. Yeah, absolutely. But, but as we were talking, you know, all of these guys were human, whether it was Napoleon or the Marshals. So let's kind of dive into the Marshals aspect, if you don't mind. So most of the Marshals were very successful, both in battle and in life. But how hard do you think it was for these men to work for such a high IQ taskmaster such as Napoleon? I think it must have been phenomenally hard. Napoleon was a very generous warder of good service and nobody benefited from that more than the marshals apart from his siblings. Mm -hmm. But he was highly, highly demanding. I mean, one of Napoleon's real strengths was his inexhaustible energy. He slept very, very little, as, you know, as little as four hours a night. He had a prodigious capacity for work. He had a a real gift for you know his memory was exceptional and yep. he yep. would work in the bath he would work in his carriage he would 
um, eat extremely quickly at dinner time and then leave the table to go back to work. And he was concerned with everything. That There was no detail as far as he was concerned that was too small because he was such a micromanager. Right. He was not a person who lent himself very easy to ledger, but he expected everybody to keep up with him. Um, he could be phenomenally unsympathetic. Um, if you think of Marshall Udineau, who was in Holland when his wife died and was left with seven motherless children, he requested to go back to France and had his request declined because Napoleon felt it was more important that he was in Holland. Wow. He didn't really understand that anybody would want to wind down. Messina famously didn't want to go to the peninsula. He'd been at war for something like, you know, roughly two decades. He felt right. he'd earned his leisure mm -hmm. and Napoleon insisted. So because he was a man of boundless energy, he expected everybody else to do likewise. And in as much as he could be incredibly generous uh, in rewarding good service, he could be you know, really harshly critical when he felt somebody wasn't up to standard. Yeah, and I think the marshals enjoyed their titles and wealth. I mean, who wouldn't? But it's hard work for a perfectionist. And other than Bessier, Marshal Lan, and Berthier, I think most of the marshals had, had a contentious relationship with the emperor. Um, mm -hmm. I believe they all respected him. You know, they had, but they at the other at, on the other hand, they had many rows with him, most notably Murat, Ney, and Macdonald. Do you think they liked him personally? I think he, he definitely had genuine friends in Marshall and Bessier. And Marmot obviously liked him um, as well because in the early days, he was one of Napoleon's first and, and you know, dearest friends. Mm -hmm. He certainly was respected by a few of them. I mean, Davu respected him to the point of fanaticism. Mm -hmm. And he was, he earned the respect of, you know, people like Lefebvre and Soult. But I think in some cases like MacDonald, like Sonsier, like Bernadotte, they tolerated him because they thought he was what was best for France. Mm -hmm. You know, coming out of the tumult of the revolution, the revolution had been eating itself, and then there was the corruption of the directory, the military mismanagement, um, the slaughter of generals left, right, and centre every time the, the, you know, the, the revolutionary right. government decided they were too zealous or not zealous enough. Napoleon sort of seemed to be the best of both worlds. He was somebody who could provide a sense of stability, but he was still a new man. He was still a man of the revolution. So I think you can understand why people felt, or, or the marshals felt, he was the right man for the job at the time. But I don't think, I mean, a good chunk of them, certainly, I don't think were his personal friends. Yeah, and he was probably, like we were talking earlier, he was a hard man to get along with just because mm -hmm. of his his high demands. And you're right. I mean, even at dinner, he would only sit for, I think, 10 minutes at a time when, you know, royalty in those days would have several hour dinners with many courses. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's get into the gritty now. And this is my favorite stuff because it's so debated on Twitter and, you know, anywhere else there's a chat room. Uh, most overrated Marshall, there's 26 of them to choose from. I gave you some options in Murat, sorry, Murat, Ney, and Ogeru, or did you have someone else in mind? It's for me, it's 100% Marshall Murat. I am not a fan <laughs> at all. <laughs> but he was so flamboyant and he had the nicest uniforms. 
he was flamboyant. He was good, but he his reputation gets away with a phenomenal amount. I feel by virtue of being glamorous, um, he was very good. If you wanted a cavalry charge, I mean, there's no dispute in his skill as a cavalryman or his physical bravery. Mm-hmm. But he had no sense whatsoever. I mean, there's that quote from Savoy that he would have been much better served with a bit less bravery and a bit more sense. Mm-hmm. He was being glorious. He was rash. He His judgment was very poor. And anytime Bernadotte and Marmot get mentioned in discourse online, inevitably somebody shouts, traitors, traitors, grab the torch and pitchforks. Right. But Murat was one of the first to turn against Napoleon and he had done better than anybody at the yeah. hands of his brother-in-law. He'd been he'd been made king and he right. turned to to look after his own interests. Yeah, you wonder why he doesn't get flack when uh, we mention traitors of Napoleon because he was the first one, as you mentioned. Maybe just because he was shot by firing squad shortly after or because he did it in Italy far away from France. Yeah, and as I say, I think, I think by virtue of being so dramatic and glamorous and you know, having all that sort of dynamism in his story, I think he gets away with a little bit more than he deserves to. Certainly for me, he's the most overrated. Okay. Uh, Now we'll flip the script and we'll go most underrated. And again, I gave you three options. I had uh, Marshal Suchet, Saint-Cyr, or Oudinot, who I know is one of your favorite. Or did you pick someone else? No, I do do think Suchet and Oudinot, I think, are generally underrated and they don't get as much credit as they deserve. Sushi obviously came to the Baton fairly late and then mm. his reputation was burnished thereafter. He was one of the only marshals to leave Spain with a you know having enhanced his reputation mm-hmm. rather than destroyed it. But when you look at his service actually in Italy, realistically he had done as much as some of the other marshals who got the baton in 1804. Mm-hmm. Um he had he had given very good service. He, um, you know, the the fact that he had kept elements of the the enemy down had contributed to the victory at Marengo, and that sometimes only gets assigned to Massena, who had tied up forces by holding out at Genoa. Right. But his his service was actually very good indeed. Yeah, in 1815, he pushed the Austrians back uh, at the frontier. There. He, yeah. He, yeah. Very talented. And he was probably, with the exception of Bernadotte, the most politically savvy marshal, and that kind of came to to bear fruit in Spain because he was one of the few who understood that if you are going into the avenue of war that was Spain, which was fundamentally different from the campaigns they had fought in Western Europe, uh, Central Europe, sorry, Mm -hmm. you, you couldn't use the same tactics. And he understood that the army had to be disciplined, that they had to if not get the support of the Spanish people, at least try and establish some level of d- diplomacy or cooperation. Yep. And then you look at the success that he had in Spain compared to some of the others. And I know the areas themselves were obviously very different topographically and in terms of the, the battles, etc. as well. But he took, by far had the most sensible approach in Spain. Agreed. Yeah, I think he worked really hard just, like you said, not to necessarily get the Spanish to like him, but at least to respect him and kind of the reforms he was making, you know, letting the Spanish govern themselves, like, you know, have the French troops out in the countryside so we don't bother you, you know, we're just, we're here, let's make the best of it type of thing. Yeah. 
I mean, they, they still fundamentally were an invading army, but he Correct. understood if you could establish some degree of cooperation yep. rather than outright oppression, the result was going to be significantly better. Indeed. Uh, my next question for you is, uh, I think it's an easy one to answer, but I'll, I'll, I'll let you be the judge. Who had the best em post-Empire career? So I'm talking after Napoleon's downfall, final downfall in 1815. This one totally depends on your point of view and okay. how you feel about monarchy, I think. Because if you feel that the crown or a crown is the ultimate prize and to be royal is the ultimate prize, then on that front, it has to be Bernadotte. Mm -hmm. But given that these were effectively self-made men, um, and I'm not a particular cheerleader for monarchy anyway, <laughs> um, for me, it's actually Soult. And he, he was the real survivor of the Marshallette. He returned from the disgrace that he, he wound up in post-Waterloo. He was then made a peer. He became minister for war, um, held the foreign portfolio for a while as well, the foreign ministry. He was prime minister. And he actually enacted some really substantial reforms during his ministries. So mm -hmm. he really accomplished something of note um, and that's not to say Bernadotte didn't as king of Sweden but I for me that achievement counts for more than a crown and yeah. again it totally depends on your point of view if you're a monarchist you maybe do feel that you know for Bernadotte having found founded and still extant dynasty means he's yeah. the ultimate winner of the Napoleonic Game of Thrones but yeah. for me it's suit. Yeah, no, I, I agree with your point. Uh, I, I think Bernadotte did do some things once he became king. Like, obviously, it was very lucky how he became king. But once he got there, like, he kept Sweden out of wars. You know, he was somewhat moderate, at least till the end there. Um, and like you said, he, his dynasty still goes on to this day. So it, it just depends how you classify uh, success, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. All right, now your favorite topic, which I know you're dying to get to, the Marshall's wives. And you admired most of these ladies for their strength on the home front, why the Marshalls were often on campaign. Which was your favorite slash least favorite? I guess it's a two-part question. Yeah, I find the Marshall's wives, the, the lives of these women were really interesting. And it's it's a shame that in that period, ultimately, unless you were royal, very often the women's stories get neglected. But my absolute favourite of the Marshall's wives was Madame Lefebvre, um, Catherine Hoopshire. Mm -hmm. She was uh, a laundress. She was illiterate when her husband married her. He taught her to read. Um, and the, the thing I like about the Lefebvre's, both of them, not just Madame Lefebvre, is that they never got carried away with the titles. They never believed themselves to be any different than what they were. They never forgot their roots. And, and Madame Lefebvre in particular was a very famously blunt speaker. She was a great maker of puns. Um, she, in in what we say in Scotland, was she called a spade a spade. Yeah, um, she, she spoke her mind. Yeah. yeah, she absolutely did. And Napoleon liked her as well. And he, he was somebody who could be phenomenally rude to women. He was very misogynistic and he didn't always have a a lot of time for women he didn't see a personal use in, but he was very fond of her. And mm -hmm. on one occasion when um, somebody rather snotly commented that it pleased his majesty to 
um, raised Madame Lefebvre to the title of Duchess, Napoleon kind of came to her defence and said, actually, it pleased me to raise the title of Duchess to, to Madame Lefebvre. And the two of them as a couple, they did an enormous amount of charity work. Mm-hmm. They supported less fortunate relations. Um, and they, they also bore a horrible amount of tragedy because they were predeceased by all 14 of their children, mm-hmm. which is it's terrible. Yeah. Is something I can't even begin to get my head around the, yeah. that level it's, of tragedy. And the one uh, they lost in Russia, the, uh, the son, I think that's just awful. Well, they had one that really made it to adulthood and was making something of it himself and tragically passed uh, on the retreat from Russia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and and even even after all they'd lost, I mean, they, they ensured that there was a memorial built to their son where he's where he's buried. After all they'd lost, she still continued to do effectively good work in the community. She was she was even after she lost her husband, she survived the fev um, for numerous years. She she was very generous. She was a very kind woman. And a very mm-hmm. sensible one. She was never caught up with, you know, she never believed herself to be more than she was. Right. Uh, which she, was kind, she was kind to everyone except Marshall Bernadotte. Yes. When he called <laughs> on her after Waterloo, she said she was not at home to traitors and shut the door in his face. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Well, let me ask you the second part of the question. Uh, which of these fine ladies was your least favorite? So I'm going to be pretty consistent here. And it was Madame Murat. Um, mm. Napoleon's sister Caroline Bonaparte and like a lot of the Bonaparte siblings Caroline had all the Bonaparte vices but none of her brother's talents and mm. she was much like her husband she was vain she was greedy she was spoiled she was demanding um, she another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was unbelievably cruel to Josephine, as were all the Bonaparte women. Um, and, you know, she, it was she and Murat conspired to introduce Napoleon to potential mistresses with the hope that they would he would get one of them pregnant so that Josephine would um, be thrown over. I find it interesting that the more gifts and wealth Napoleon gave either the marshals or his family members, the more likely they were to betray him or, or be rude to him or, or conspire against him. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I mean, he he really had the most horrific luck with his siblings. There's there's really not a, I mean, Eliza was, I guess you could say potentially the the best sister, even though she wasn't a particularly nice person. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were horrible. They were two faced. They were greedy. They were yep. just 
awful, awful siblings, and, and probably Caroline was was the worst. You know, she threw tantrums over the coronation. She wouldn't carry Josephine's train. She demanded to be made an imperial princess. And then having got all of that, she turned with her husband, you know, with a view to keeping her hands on their own thrones. Yeah. And, and then that all came to nothing anyway. Yeah, and I believe after Napoleon's downfall, um, her mom wouldn't talk to her anymore. No. Yeah, I mean, probably also give an honourable shout out to the almost superhuman courage of Angelique, Madame Brune, mm. because it was only yep. through her searching for two years that Marshal Brune's body was found. Yep. And it was only through her further years of battling um, and she wrote to everyone she could, including the king, mm -hmm. that she had his cause of death changed from the blatantly fake suicide to murder, and mm -hmm. that he was able to be finally given a Christian burial. Mm -hmm. And that's you know when, yep. you, when you think she was a, a metal burnisher by trade when she when she married Brune, she yep. was not a woman who was born to sort of great avenues of state who was who wouldn't have been in the habit of you know writing to to the great men of the day the fact that she fought for so long and for so hard yeah is incredible yeah there's certainly a book or a story to be told there i just for her to her husband to serve france as he did now you know he didn't he had many faults but for him to die the way he did was awful mm -hmm. and then the royal court to cover it up like that uh, yeah kudos to angelique for sure yeah um okay so getting back to our marshals now why did napoleon keep some of these guys that were past their prime uh ogeru or victor come to mind or bunglers like bernadotte and mcdonald instead of promoting other talented generals uh, say gerard to marshal status you know it's it's that's a really interesting question it's quite a difficult one to speculate on in some cases, I genuinely think Napoleon was quite a sentimental man, pardon me, and he was also very conscious conscious of the story that he was creating. Mm -hmm. um, in the, the roundtable debate we had just before Christmas about sort of Napoleon's reckoning on the Napoleon at War podcast, I kind of talked about the fact that one of Napoleon's real sort of ultimate victories was his skill as a communicator and he he wove his own myth and I think it's part of the reason people still find him so fascinating today and he understood the power of the victories that you know went into that myth making mm -hmm. and you know when people would criticize Ogero he would say yeah but remember what he did for us at Castiglione mm -hmm. and I think he understood the power of those titles that he'd given and the victories they were linked to. So I think part of it was brand building, for mm -hmm. one better expression. Part of it was sentiment. Mm -hmm. But I also think he was savvy enough to understand when it came to people like Bernadotte and MacDonald, who'd been associated with um, Moro and Pichigrew, he understood that it was better to have potential rivals or enemies closer to you and right. dependent on your kindness or generosity right. than it was to have them plotting against you yeah keep your what's it keep your friends close but your enemies closer yeah yeah i think he knew he couldn't afford to make an enemy of bernadotte certainly not um at the time he became you know consul and at the start of the empire 
Yeah, and according to McDonald's, again, this is McDonald's biography, they asked him to be first counsel first uh, or something like that. Yeah, he certainly made that claim, but I think McDonald did a slightly better opinion of himself than other people had of him, so I'm not sure how completely accurate that is. Yeah. Um, okay, let me see. One more question I have for you, which is a big one because I've read you know, 100 books on this. And then how are any of these guys still alive after so many battles? That was my question because Udino and Grushi had over 22 wounds, which means at least 22 times someone was very close to killing them. And, and those are just the ones I know about from the history books. All but four were wounded in battle at some time. Medical knowledge was limited, even though the marshals had surgeons. And Napoleon insisted that his marshals led from the front. Some like Ney and Murat did it with gusto. Others like Soult preferred to be in the rear. But of the 26 marshals, only three died as a result of battle. Lon, Bessier, and Poniatowski representing only 12%. I think this is amazing considering there are hundreds of battles in the Napoleonic Wars. What, what is your feeling on that? I mean, I think, honestly, just absolute sheer luck is mm -hmm. the reality because where I mean when you think of Udino in particular I mean his wounds he was at least 34 possibly <laughs> as many as 37 right and when you think that he got shot three times in the chest in the same in one year mm -hmm. he took three bullets to the chest and in another battle you know he took saber wounds to the neck so mm -hmm. these these aren't scratches we're talking about either these were really substantial wounds right i mean you wouldn't have wanted to stand next to him on a battlefield he, <laughs> have, he was a bullet magnet yeah um and yeah yeah most of the others they, they were injured at least once um i think masena was one of the few who didn't get a battlefield wound but then he got shot in the face by napoleon who blamed bertie and lost that's the right of, of that's one true. of his eyes but yeah yep. um, it was i think honestly sh sheer luck because probably most of them could have gone the way that landed because it wasn't his wound that killed him it was the infection yeah Bessier he he died instantly and, and Poniatowski drowned but yeah um to, yeah. to not have picked up infection and to not have died that way it really is a, a phenomenal amount of luck really yeah I think uh the Udno one where he was in Russia getting treated for one wound and then didn't like the cabin collapse on him that he was getting treated in yeah, so they, they had removed him. He was actually lying in, you know, on a sort of makeshift bed and he was still recovering because he'd, he'd been wounded at Polotsk and then he'd been wounded again and his son was with him and the, the cabin was um, surrounded by Cossacks and Udino being Udino said, well, if they're going to take me, they'll know who they're taking and stood up and or struggled to sort, sort of semi to his feet and got his pistols to shoot through the window. Right. And they hit the roof of the cabin, which dislodged a beam, which came down and struck him on the head. Mm. And it's almost pure slapstick. Like if, if you <laughs> you showed that on a TV series, people would think you were doing it for almost comedic effect, but right. he right. still survived it. Yeah, I, it just it's fascinating to me. And Ney you know, at Waterloo was courting death, riding up and down, getting horses shot out from under him. I, it's just fascinating to me that these guys braved death so many times. And that's probably why with Murat and they at the firing squad, they didn't need a, a blindfold. They're just like, you know, I'm not afraid of death. Yeah, I think that, I think they'd faced it too many times to be afraid of it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess kind of wrapping up, like what I learned, um, 
I found something that I liked about almost every marshal, except your friend Victor, who we both despise. Agreed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, they were both. They're all warmongers who I understand they spread death and destruction as part of Napoleon's war machine. I get that. But they all did their job to the best of their abilities and were outnumbered in many of their pitched battles. And I, I found as I researched examples of kindness, you know, Bessier giving up his staff dinner to starving citizens in Moscow was something I didn't know about. Lefebvre working his retirement years to help wounded or poverty stricken veterans. What did you think of these men, both on and off the battlefield? Yeah, I think undeniably all all 26 deserved a battle for one reason or another. Napoleon wasn't in the habit of rewarding idiots, mm-hmm. with the exception of his siblings. And he, he they all genuinely deserved a, a baton at one point or the other. Some of them were phenomenal generals. Davu, Messina, Lam. And had a real talent for independent command. Some of them, like you know, like Ney, worked best when under Napoleon's of overall direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they they represented some of the the finest generals of the era. And one of the things that really draws me to their story is there's there's nowhere else at that time you would look and see such a group of generals from such a diverse socioeconomic background because command was the privilege of the ruling ruling classes everywhere else yeah off the battlefield i sometimes think there's a sort of erroneous picture that gets painted of the marshals that they were all greedy looting backstabbing Mm -hmm. you know quarrelers and they certainly did they could quarrel with the best of them Mm -hmm. um but when you actually read into some of their stories quite a lot of them were very honorable men when you look at the likes of Davu who literally put his life on the line trying to save Ney after Waterloo saying you know I was minister for war I demand to take the blame on myself Mm -hmm. when you look at um as you say Lefebvre somebody who despite phenomenal personal loss never forgot where he'd come from never got carried away with the title and the wealth, was never concerned about lying in his pockets and actually was focused on doing good in his community, supporting mm-hmm. other people. When you look at, you know, the, the honour of Udino, who, you know, during Waterloo could have, you know, played either side and ultimately said, you know, I swore an oath, it means something, but since I will not serve you, sir, I'll serve nobody. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, withdrew. There's actually a lot more stories of honor among the marshalette than I think sometimes people believe. Mm-hmm. I agree, and I think they all they all had survival instincts as a group. You know, clearly they all navigated the madness of the French Revolution and the Reign of Terror, and a lot of their early lives, many of them lost a parent as a young child, and I think that taught them to kind of overcome obstacles in their life. Yeah, there's a prevailing theme, actually. The vast majority, well, not the vast majority, but a significant number of them lost their fathers very young. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess if psychologists would maybe read into that and, and make, um, yeah, you know, conclusions, which obviously are beyond my pre grade, but there's, <laughs> it's an interesting theme. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, that, that they were then all drawn to such a sort of formidable personality as Napoleon. Yeah, I, Marshal Jordan lost, lost both parents at a young age. Um, and yeah, I know, like, I've read stories, you know, M- Malcolm Gladwell in his book, you know, of the first 
44 U.S. presidents, 12 lost a, pre uh, a parent at a young age, and they overcame it. So I think all of these successful marshals had seen the worst, uh, whether it was the loss of a parent or the reign of terror. Uh, but many of the marshals and the, and the emperor himself, who lost his dad as, at a young age. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wellington. Yeah, and, and Wellington, that's right, uh, overcame it to kind of navigate these, I guess, unprecedented times. Yeah, and I, one of the things I think is remarkable about I Lefebvre is one of my favorite. I feel he's the most likable. Him and Morty. Mm. It's an it's an era that's replete with great, you know, in inverted commas, great men. But some of the marshals were good men, mm -hmm. and you know, I look at Lefebvre and Morty as real examples of that. And I think. It was one thing to have battlefield courage, but some of them also had significant moral courage, and I think that's just as admirable. Right, and and not to whitewash anything, some of them were bad men. I mean, Marshall, yeah. Bitter, uh, he just seemed like a guy who needed to tell everyone in the room how important he was. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hate Victor. I really do. <laughs> I know you do. But, I, I mean, just... also, also Messina and Silt, you wouldn't have trusted them with anything valuable as far as you could have thrown them because they stole everything. Oh everything and, yeah. and, and brune as well yeah it was yeah. yeah and ogero was was a devil for looting as well so yeah some of them were greedy and yeah some of them could argue with an certain argument in an empty room but yeah. um it was it was a very interesting mix of characteristics do you feel the narrative that they didn't cooperate or get along now obviously they're all big egos they're all competing with each other but just researching it, I feel like they got along for the most part, but occasionally they would have quarrels. And of course, the quarrels are what that, that's what makes the history books. Yeah, I mean, they weren't it some some areas, yes, and some no. I mean, particularly in Spain, the bad blood between the various marshals, I think, genuinely hindered um the the progress. Right. And the bad blood between Sultan and Ney potentially, you know, you could say potentially impacted Waterloo because had they been sort of less at loggerheads at other points, would the, either of them have followed up slightly more diligently with the other and meant that the intel was more accurate? Mm -hmm. Again, that's just pure speculation. Um, but, I mean, if you if you look at the likes of Davu, he made enemies as easily as he made friends. Most of the other marshals didn't like him. Right. They respected him, but he wasn't well-liked. Most of them didn't like Mira because they thought he was an idiot. Yeah. Um, but they, so, they, they they attended a lot of like, you know, balls and fets and, you know, they, they, they hung out with each other, at least in the early part of the empire, quite a bit. Yeah, they were, they, they had to be social. They were all nominally social equals. Um, and, and some of them did have pockets of friendship. Mira and Bessier were very close friends. Mm -hmm. Um Davu and Udino were. Davu also did get on with Sonsir. Mm -hmm. uh, so you, you do see these sort of small pockets of friendship. Um, and it, it's interesting, though, that despite all the quarrelling, with the exception of Victor, if you look at how the... And um, Marmo, if you look at how this sort of contemporary, not counting Kellerman and Perignon, the sort of honorary marshals, if you look at how the sort of contemporary marshals behaved around Ney's trial. I mean, probably nobody would have hated him more than Messina, mm -hmm. who declined to try him. Right. Most of the marshals either said, you know, I don't want to be involved, or we don't have capacity to try him. Right. 
they neglected to to sort of follow grudges in in that circumstance apart from the, the pocketful he did vote for Ney's execution. Right. And I know Ney was a volatile personality to be around, but you're right. That's a great point that, you know, they, they all respected him with the exception of the five that voted for his death. Um, yeah, I think that's a great point right there. Uh, my, I, I just love the Marshall story, all 26 of them, and I'm really glad you joined me for this call. Thank you again for joining me. And I'd like to plug your, your Twitter page one more time, at bookish underscore Rachel. And we were sponsored today by our wonderful friends at napoleonicimpressions.com. Rachel, thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you.